0: One step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We we're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard.
1: The shuttle era will come to an end, but
2: they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America.
1: We choose to you to the One. And we're doing One small
0: step for man, one giant leap for mankind.
3: Gear down and locked. Main gear touchdown. Hurley now deploying the drag chute. Ferguson rotating the nose gear down to the deck. Nose gear touchdown. Having fired the imagination of a generation, a ship like no other, its place in history secured, the space shuttle pulls into port for the last time, its voyage at an end. Mission complete, Houston. After uh, serving the world for over 30 years, the space shuttle has earned its place in history and has come to a final stop.
0: We copy your will stop and we'll take this opportunity to congratulate you, Atlantis, as well as the thousands of passionate individuals across this great spacefaring nation who truly empowered this incredible spacecraft, which for three decades has inspired millions around the globe. Job well done, America. Hey, thanks, Butch. Great words. Great words. You know, the space shuttle's changed the way we
3: uh, view the world, and it's changed uh, the way we view our universe. There's a lot of emotion today, but one thing's indisputable. America's not going to stop exploring. Thank you, Columbia, Challenger, Discovery, Endeavor, and our ship Atlantis. Thank you for protecting us and bringing this program to such a fitting end. God bless all of you. God
4: bless the United States of America. And on that note... Welcome to another episode of the Talking Space podcast. This is Talking Space episode 331 for the week of July 24th, 2011. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene.
5: Hey, Sawyer. It's a little bit of an Irish right wake tonight. We're going to go ahead and celebrate, uh, not sort of celebrate the end of the shuttle program, but celebrate the shuttle program as a whole. So uh, I'm, I'm good to, I'm good, I'm just thrilled to be here to talk about that.
4: A true legacy indeed. Welcome as well, Mark Ratterman.
6: Ah, oh, it's good to have my feet back on solid ground. Oh, wait a second—I never left. <laughs> that was a—that was a virtual uh, flight that I was on. Darn Are you it! Sure, you
4: weren't <laughs> floating on cloud nine from seeing the landing. Uh, pretty close, pretty close. And welcome as well, Gina Hurley.
1: Here I am, ready to
4: go we all are ready to go and as you heard the little addition to our intro for this episode that was the audio from the final landing of the space shuttle program which just recently took place early in the morning on thursday july 21st 2011 as space shuttle atlantis rolled to a stop on the runway at the kennedy space center and uh Let's talk a little bit about landing and about the mission and the space shuttle program as a whole. So, where do we want to start?
5: Mark, I think maybe you should kick this off. You were there.
6: Yeah, it's hard to know where to start. I mean, there's things that are things that are funny, things that are exciting, things that were on the sad side, and uh, everywhere in between. The uh, the madhouse that that we all experienced. During the uh, few days up to and, and, of course, the launch of, of STS-135, that didn't end. Uh, when it came time to landing, uh, a lot of what happens at the press site is just what you find out when you're there. And uh, when I got there early evening, which at that point was, uh, uh, let's see, I was, I was about 12 hours, maybe 10 hours before landing, I was surprised to find out that uh, there were no slots available for the list that would take you out to the SLF, which meant that uh, watching the landing was going to be from the press site, which meant you weren't going to see anything. And uh, there were standby lists, and uh, fortunately, uh, the day before, I saw a press release saying that they were going to accept requests. From a limited number of media, that following landing, that they would uh, allow people out to Atlantis, uh, short time, which short time means a couple hours roughly, but post landing while Atlantis was still on the runway, and boy was I surprised to find out that uh, that I was accepted for that, and I was part of the what later became known as the Red Dot. Uh, group that rode the red dot buses and had a red dot on our media badge and that gave me a little feeling of relief the fact that i had a red dot and that i was going to be able at least to get to the slf and i think that the uh the the press site folks did their usual pulling a rabbit out of their hat and uh Probably got everybody out there. I really don't know, but uh I think they pulled it off and, and got folks out there. So there was a crowd going out, and I was kind of surprised to be on one of these infamous two one of two red dot buses, and to have somebody walk past me uh to to get a seat and say, Where's this going? And I thought, I hope he's joking. Because <laughs> where where else would you want to go but to the field to see the landing? And I honestly think this was somebody so new that they weren't exactly sure of what was happening and what to, what to expect next. And, you know, this is sounded like a criticism, but uh, I thought about it since. And, you know, I'm glad, I'm honestly glad that there were people there for the first time. It's the last... It's the end of the shuttle program, the last landing of the last flight, and there were new people there. So people that had never been to KSC or never been there for a landing or whatever the situation was, people saw things they've never seen before, and they had to carry something good back with them. So in that respect, I'm glad there were some new folks there, but it was kind of funny. So... um, Buses started going out to the uh, to the landing field at starting at 2 a.m. and of course landing was at 5:56 uh, a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, and uh, there was plenty of excitement to look forward to. One of the events I actually forgot about the I don't know if people keep up with stuff that happens in the sky, and I I barely do, but I just happened to notice that on landing day that Shortly before 135 was going to land, that there was going to be an ISS pass that would be visible from KSC, and there's no better place to see a space station fly over than out in the middle of uh, an open area in the darkness. And that worked out very nicely. However, prior to that, and this was the item that I did forget about at 5.07 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, there was an iridium flare, which you couldn't have been in a better place. It was a nearly a, a full magnitude, a minus-eight magnitude iridium flare. And I heard people around me go, wow, and I looked, and it was gone. I couldn't remember where to look, <laughs> couldn't remember anything. But we had an iridium flare, like, okay, you guys, everybody wake up. <laughs> Atlantis is coming home. And then I believe it was at 546 or 547, uh, the ISS uh, was already above the horizon, but the ISS popped into sunlight, and bingo, there it was. And uh, pardon me while I wax poetic, at least poetic for me. And, uh, you know, my thought was, well, there goes the ISS. The shuttle's flying a, a wide formation with it and the ISS crew's looking down to make sure the field's clear and everything's good to go for their friends coming in. And about, uh, I kind of lost sight of the ISS due to the uh, the base building and the tower be- that were behind us as we were facing the field. But at uh, just a little before, three minutes, 30 seconds on the landing clock, shortly prior to that, was the double sonic booms. And I think people were so absorbed in, uh, in in tracking the ISS that it surprised some folks. And uh, that was a welcome sound. It was something that, uh, you know, you think is special. And it, and it was. I've heard them two other times before from KSC. I've heard them one other time uh, 100 miles away in North Florida when the overflight of the orbiter took it uh, close enough to where to where I was under the footprint of uh, a distant sonic boom, the double booms. And uh, so, you know, there you go. And you know you're getting close. And uh, photographers, I I looked up behind me. I was down on ground level and behind me on the base building of the tower. They have decks of observation decks. And uh, the railing was lined with photographers, you know, guys with cameras with big lenses. And they were all pointed down towards the touchdown area. Uh, one deck up above that was uh, photographers that had a little uh, higher preferential treatment by NASA because of the organizations they were part of, and they kind of had the uh, the catbird seat for a, a good shot of of the orbiter coming in. Uh, down on ground level, what you see is these super bright lights that you've seen on uh, on videos and and pictures, but you see the pattern of the lights change, and you know that shadow that's that's. Coming through the lights, you know that that's Atlantis coming in. Next thing you see is the uh, the drag chute is opened. You don't quite see the orbiter. And then a few seconds later, here comes the orbiter, you know, flying down the runway and uh, coming to a stop out of sight. So from the midfield point where we were at, uh, you you see the orbiter for for really a, a short number of seconds. Maybe I couldn't begin to tell you if it was five seconds or ten seconds. It goes by quick, and uh unless you've got a camera that's that's up to the task uh chances are you're not going to get a picture, which is exactly what I got was not a picture <laughs> and uh and it came to a stop, and uh there was some whooping and hollering and uh and it was exciting and of course, one of the things that you don't keep the continuity of when you're there on site is uh, you can't necessarily hear the mission audio, the commentary of what's happening. And so you know what's happening based on timeline, but you kind of miss out on all the details. You miss the statements that were made by Mission Control But I, I think you've got some plans to share with us tonight.
5: Yeah, Mark, um, this was right after landing, um, they were still going ahead and, and securing, uh, or taking the process of, uh, handing over Atlantis from, uh, mission controls care over to the, uh, the ground, uh, the ground folks over at, uh, over at KSC, and Tony Sakachi had some nice words for his, uh, his team. Tony Sakachi was the, uh, ascent and reentry flight director, and, um, Uh, He had some very, very kind words to say, not only to his team, but I think to everybody associated with the shuttle program. So, uh, Sawyer, why don't we go ahead and run that?
0: All right, guys. uh, Got one more step here to do, but before we do that, uh, hopefully uh, I can get through this, but uh, I don't, you know. So, let's see. uh, I'd like to take this opportunity to pass on a few words, since this will be the last time this team will be together. See, first and foremost, I wanted to thank you guys. My colleagues, my friends, the shuttle flight controllers of uh, mission operations. It's been my extreme privilege and honor to have worked with each one of you and have been part of this outstanding team of individuals so dedicated and passionate about the work they do. Each one of you should take great pride in the accomplishments you have achieved and know that you are the main reason for the success of the space shuttle program. Thirty years ago, the dream had just begun. My flight director for entry was uh, Crimson Flight, Don Putty, with Capcom Joe Allen. As Columbia's nose gear touched down and began rollout, Putty told his team, to prepare for acceleration. Well, the settle hasn't failed us in that. It was a moment for the history books. Today is also a moment in the history books. Those books will talk about the amazing work of the flight control teams over the past 30 years. The work done in this room and this building will never again be duplicated. I believe that the accomplishments of the shuttle program will become the next set of shoulder of giants for the future programs to stand on. Hold your heads up high with pride as we close out the space shuttle program. You have earned it. To all, like I always say, savor the moment, soak it in, and know you are the best, the best in the world. Your work here has made America and the world a better place. It's been an unbelievable and amazing journey, from trepid flight to the entire NASA team, God bless you all and Godspeed. So with that, I want you guys go ahead and get your MIPSR guys if you want. Bring them all in here and we'll go ahead and watch the crew walk around. And while I finish uh, handing over the vehicle.
3: Heartfelt words from entry flight director Tony Sakachi. Signing off uh, to the entry team for the final time as 30 years of space shuttle operations and mission control come to an end with the safe landing of Atlantis. It's four astronauts now off the vehicle for the final time.
5: What I walked away from that, it wasn't just so much uh, Tony Sacacci's comments, it was just the comments in general. There was a lot of lasts that day and and the finality was just hanging over over everybody 's head during that day and it it, it didn 't impact me in so much until everything was done because i was i was trying to to live tweet the landing and so on th- using the, uh, the the talking space uh, twitter account and i was just so wrapped up in trying to get things out and so on that it didn't hit me that that the program was over it until um, to well within well into the day i mean it, and it hit me like a ton of bricks i just just came to that that the stark realization that that was it 30 years of of uh of the shuttle was now ended so it it was it was a heavy
6: heavy feeling after that it it probably surprised you to hear that uh in a lot of cases that people that I was around that there were not a lot of long faces and uh shortly after landing when they did allow us to go out to the orbiter we had two busloads of of media that went out and and they had a perimeter they had cones set up they said you know Go past the cones and uh, we'll put you back on the bus. And and actually, it was a nice distance for photos of the orbiter and uh, some of the NASA folks that were there. They had some banners that they unrolled and uh, and and had you know they kind of mugged for pictures for uh, for the photographers. Um, And there were a lot of smiles. I mean, there really were a lot of smile and happy people. And uh, it was exciting, and even more exciting when somebody told me that uh, they didn't recall the press being out on the runway in in force like this before. And uh, you know, I think it was I think it was nice that NASA tried to increase the availability and visibility of of everything they could because I've. Done some looking back at images and previous flights, and there doesn't seem to be as much as as there certainly has been on this flight.
5: One of the moments that I kind of remember, Mark, and and I, I wasn't there, so I was I had to had to sit and watch uh, through courtesy of NASA television was when Atlantis was just turning the corner to go into uh, the area where the the Orbiter Processing Facilities are, or the OPFs um that was was just it, that one gave you goosebumps because just as atlantis was turning the corner uh you heard um the strains of the uh i believe it was uh the theme from star trek voyager playing start start playing as atlantis became visible and and it was just that moment you heard everybody cheering and all that and you know the crew got its got its bow um as they came off came off the orbiter the bird got her bow there, and I don't think the other birds did get that moment. Atlantis got that moment for not only for uh, for herself, but also for for all of her sister ships: Enterprise, Columbia, you know, herself, Atlantis, Discovery, Endeavour, and of, and of course uh, Challenger. Um, it was it, it was just it, it just gave you goosebumps watching that. I mean, it was just just the salute for the entire program. Atlantis, right there, represented 30 years of history. Right there at that moment, and that just was like,
6: wow. <laughs> let me uh, let me back up just a little bit. Uh, when they had rollover, when Atlantis was uh, pushed back out of OPF, whichever, and brought down the uh, the drive to bring it into the VAB for stacking, there was the crew of STS-135 walking proudly in front with a banner for the, uh, for the mission. And, uh, they had an entourage of some other people that I, I couldn't identify by face, but, uh, there was quite a group of people that were preceding Atlantis, you know, walking down the way. And then Atlantis sat outside for photo op for several hours before they actually completed their rollover and brought it into the VAB prior to, to stacking. But, um, you know they've done some nice things they really have and and that uh, the pictures that I saw I was at the press conference at that point when you described Atlantis coming up to OPF 2 for the final time Uh, I was in a press conference and and I saw pictures afterwards and uh, about two hours later after the uh, crew question and answer I made the trip over there and no doubt there have been pictures and video posted but there were tents set up on either side of the uh, open area. They had uh, snacks and ice cream and hot dogs and, uh, you know, little fan. Fan yourself, because let me tell you, Florida summer at its finest, it was hot. Uh, once it hit 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, the heat index was uh, 100 degrees or better. And it was one, one hot day. Uh, some of the press uh informed me that uh, the ones that were out there by the towway for for towback that uh that it was exciting to see the orbiter but when they got back in the bus they had a bus with no air conditioning and uh man of all the times and it uh, it just about bit some people i think it was so hot and, and and there they are in a and you have to wait for the uh state road 3 to clear the orbiter has to clear the uh the highway before anything moves and so they Folks sat there and cooked, and that's just the the unfortunate luck of uh, how things can go. But uh, it didn't go that way for Atlantis on the twenty first. Not a bit.
5: Another little, just just an interesting observation. Um, I remember, I mean, and I was just just a, a, a really little kid um, when the final Apollo mission splashed down. Uh, this was the Apollo Soyuz test flight, and I. I st- I kind of remember um, a few of the, the commentators over there saying, "Well, we'll never see anything like this again." And uh, in reality, it looks like we're going to. <laughs> um, but just just the feeling of the, the last Apollo, you know, flight and the last shuttle mission, the the, the two were kind of different. I mean, admittedly, the Apollo mission was sort of fished out of the Atlantic, and, and an aircraft carrier was was bringing bringing them home. This one was more of a family affair and it, it just seemed like the entire NASA family was welcoming home one of their own which was the you know not only the crew of Atlantis but the bird itself and and this was really really a genuine family affair um with everybody over there that ever ever touched an orbiter celebrating celebrating 30 year 30 years of uh of the space shuttle so it it was quite a quite a moment to to see and I think I I typed out something to the effect uh, on on the Twitter feed that you know you know thank you to everybody that um, that ever touched an orbiter and this is your moment so celebrate and thank you and or something to the that effect but uh, it was just a very interesting juxtaposition between the the final Apollo flight which was a splashdown you know and it just seemed so detached and And this, which was the final uh flight of the the shuttle Atlantis and Atlantis coming home, and literally to a hero's welcome, so it was it was kinda neat to see
6: hey gene with uh with what you just said, reminiscing about Apollo, and I thought of this on landing day as well at this point, this is the last time that we're gonna see a spacecraft land on a runway,
5: yeah. You know, for at least for a little while, although I think Sierra Nevada might have something to say about that if they get the Dream Chaser going. Uh, the Dream yeah. Chaser, if, if to, to fill folks in who may not be aware of that particular vehicle, uh, the Dream Chaser, which was really uh, born from, uh, as a NASA vehicle called the HL-20, it is essentially a mini shuttle. It can carry up to seven people, and uh, uh, that is being looked at. Um, as part of uh, a commercial effort to go ahead and send crew to the International Space Station. that's that's Sierra Nevada's entry. So I understand too that they may be using the, the shuttle landing facility if they get things moving with their their spacecraft um, as uh, as a return. Turn run- runway for uh, for the Dream Chaser, so it will be the last time that we'll see something like that big, that 122 foot long vehicle landing. Because the Dream Chaser is a lot lot shorter than that, but um, you know we'll still have have that vehicle going, but it, it it'll be very different. You won't see this this real big. You know everybody th- calls it this flying brickyard, but it it actually does look kind of graceful coming in. Um, so I, I don't know if if the Dream Chaser is going to be able to match the the majesty of a of an orbiter flying in home. Just just out of curiosity, I'd like to go around the table on this one, and you know we'll, we'll throw it back to me. What do you guys think the legacy of the shuttle program is going to be? Um, how do you think historians are going to remember the, this thing? And how do you? Do you think it actually the program actually accomplished everything it wanted to go ahead and uh, uh, go ahead and do? So I'll, I'm just going to throw that out to the to the to the team and, and see what we come up with.
1: Okay. Well, I think unfortunately it has um, a really good legacy, but uh, a really delayed legacy. Um, space shuttle started flying in 1981, and of course the first four flights were test flights, but They didn't even start putting um, space station pieces together until 1999. So 18 years of the 30 years, and you've got to count out a few years for um, no flights after both accidents of Challenger and Columbia. But there were 18 years that went by where if the space shuttle's main mission was to build the space station, um, 18 years... Uh, went by without any action on that front. So now that in 2011, after 1999, 12 years of actually building it, and not every mission was dedicated to that, certainly Columbia 107 was not, Um, it, it took some 12 years to build it. Now that it's built, boy, I bet you that space station would really enjoy having the space shuttle come up even twice a year. Here's stuff that you need here's a few astronauts, we'll take a few home, and we're going to take a heck of a lot of cargo home. I mean, even if it had multiple flights, basically like 135, that they were ferrying cargo and changing out astronauts, wow, that would have been something. And that's that's unfortunate. Um, but I think w- what actually will be its legacy is far yet to be written. I think you finally have an orbiting laboratory that's fully functional in outer space. And really cool things can happen to bacteria and viruses and all sorts of things in zero gravity. And who knows what the astronauts and scientists will figure out on the space station. I mean, some, you know, some cure to some horrible disease or some therapy that can prevent disease or something, some way to grow food on a mass scale as our population here on Earth explodes, I mean, we're just not sure yet. I think you got to give it another generation before you can really answer that question.
4: Honestly, for me, taking a look at the shuttle, the shuttle was originally advertised as a cheap, inexpensive way to get back and forth to space over and over again. Did it serve that purpose? No. But did it do other important things that served our nation in the end? A resounding yes it wasn't cheap that's for sure it, and it wasn't as quick as we thought it could be to take the vehicle and reprocess it so much for 50 flights a year but in the end the vehicle became something more than that it it truly became an American legend and an icon that we recognized as Americans in space now on top of that not only was it just an amazing spacefaring vehicle it was something that helped us down here on earth dramatically Some of the technologies that we have learned from this, we never could have had without the space shuttle. For example, the fly-by-wire system that's used on every single commercial aircraft to this day. That was through the space shuttle technology. Without that, we'd still be flying the old-fashioned way, and I know Mark can even attest to that, working with the FAA. And everything that's come out of it otherwise, even the first first, uh, American female astronaut uh, with Sally Ride, the first male African-American astronaut with Guy Bluford. Those were STS-7 and 8. Just so much has come out of it. And no matter what, when you see pictures of a space vehicle, you have the people that think of the moon. But anybody that's been alive for the last 30 years knows nothing but the space shuttle. And when they think of space, they see a space shuttle launching and landing on a runway. It's a dignified way to do it, and it's been the way that we've known for the last 30 years. Was it on a tight budget? Yes. Was it too many people trying to get their input on one vehicle? Yes, but what we got out of it, we used to the best of our ability, and that became the vehicle that our nation has known as the space-faring vehicle of the United States.
6: I'm going to pop in from out in left field here with a couple of thoughts on the, the Grand STS. Um, one of my favorite discoveries as we've done this show and people that we've talked to and kind of vague recollections of, of payloads and science and such, I see on Discovery's first flight, STS-41D, that uh, Michael Coates was pilot and Richard Mullane, who we interviewed on the show, was Mission Specialist 1. And uh, both both of these men we've had the privilege to talk to on our show. But one of the payloads on Discovery on that first flight was a device called OAST-1, And that was three major experiments, a solar array experiment, something called a dynamic augmentation experiment, and a solar cell calibration facility. And what this did was it extended a solar array wing from a truss in the payload bay to a height of more than 10 stories high, 102 feet above the the cargo bay. When it was stowed for launch and landing, it folded into a package only seven inches deep. Uh, One of the things that they did on this flight was extending and retracting this array several times, and they took pictures of it. They got video of it, and they were looking at the effects of vehicle movement, the orbiter movement, with this lightweight, flexible – they refer to it as a low-frequency structure. And, you know, I uh, I remember that mission and that payload and had forgotten about it. But it sunk in as we saw the ISS being built, that that was a predecessor to the tremendous solar arrays that are part of the ISS. And so that's the serious side of my uh, reflection. The flip side of the coin is something that happened many times during the shuttle program. And that was pictures of uh, the crew on orbit with sometimes some rather humorous little signs that they would hold up for, uh, for photos and for video when they, were, when they were doing interviews, perhaps. But on another uh, flight, on STS-51A, the crew held up some signs, and one of the signs says, The Eagle Flies High. The next one says, Two Up, Two Down, The Ace Repo Company. And the third one is, The Ace Repo Company the sky is no limit and uh, that was a lot of the the things that perhaps the shuttle was made fun of because they had these um uh, really glamorous maybe exotic but but quite routine and humdrum payloads that the shuttle made possible for so long L- launching satellites retrieving uh Retrieving satellites in orbit, working on them and releasing them, things that they did with the shuttle that had never been done before. And that's, uh, that's my kind of the funny side of, of shuttle history. There's a lot of it. And when you look back at it and you see the smiles on the faces of the crew and the little signs that they made up. And, uh, you know, they were a happy bunch. And they were doing great work. And it brought us to today. And I'm thankful for, for all of those times.
5: I guess that brings me to uh, to my thoughts. Um, it's interesting. This vehicle's legacy goes all the way back to, my lord, 1950s. Um, Collier's magazine um, showed uh, Chelsea Bonstall's interpretation uh, and his artwork of uh, what uh, – Uh, Werner Von Braun himself was sort of thinking about as far as low Earth orbit was concerned. Um, Von Braun saw a a space station with a space telescope and a small shuttle vehicle servicing both vehicles, both the space telescope and the space station. And lo and behold, oddly enough, that's exactly what we got for the past 30 years. the shuttle, when it was first put put out there, it was sort of a – the one that we got was sort of a compromise. Um, the one that we were hoping for in the 1970s was a completely reusable system, a uh, – A small orbiter uh, sitting on top of a hypersonic jet that would carry the orbiter up to a certain altitude and the orbiter would fly forward. Um, However, due to uh, some other policy decisions in uh, wanting to go ahead and get rid of, uh, getting rid of, expendable launch vehicles and essentially putting all of our cargo eggs on the shuttle, that cargo room had to be expanded not only to fit larger satellites but also possibly military payloads. So the orbiter had to be redesigned and and thus we got what we got. the solid rocket boosters themselves were a bit of a compromise there uh, some were advocated th- advocating uh, a uh liquid fuel rockets rather than than the than the solids uh, but the solids were less expensive to, to operate so the solids won out um, the space station at the time of uh, the, uh, the shuttle really wasn't envisioned. Initially, it was part of the package, but that was initially killed by by the Nixon administration. And um, the shuttle, essentially, which was not really supposed to be the centerpiece of the U.S. space program, all of a sudden had to become the center of the U.S. space program. Um, In fact, I think uh, uh, NASA Administrator James Fletcher at the time regarded uh, anybody talking about a a space station as a dirty word. Um, But uh, finally, that – that vision came out um, through uh, in, in 1984 when when Space Station Freedom was first proposed. Uh, it went through several iterations before we got it off the ground, but uh, we finally did that in, in the late 90s, and the shuttle finally, sadly enough, it was toward the end of its life that the shuttle really, really came came into its own. I mean, we we had to, I mean, the shuttle was supposed to go ahead and deliver satellites and deliver them cheaply. Again, Sawyer, you pointed out that uh, that indeed was not the case. It could not do that effectively because of the way, way the vehicle was designed. Um, we also had some odd plans of putting a liquid-fueled booster, the, the 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 Centaur stage, in the shuttle and launching that from from uh, from the shuttle. So um, that was you know we thought about after the Challenger accident. Um, lo and behold, was the program a success? Um, and did it did it go ahead and set out to? Um, to accomplish what it what it wanted, what it initially set out to do. Mark, again, I'm going to go ahead and rewind a little bit to uh, um, to Dr. Samuel Ting and what he was he was talking about with AMS. Sometimes you go ahead and you set out to do X, and you find out you're going to be doing Y at, as you as you go forward, and that's essentially what we did with the shuttle. We started out. With exploiting low Earth orbit, and the shuttle did do that, but it didn't do it to the degree that we had hoped. It, it was not an economical way to do that. Hopefully, with the commercial entities that are going forward, that will happen. Um, so, in in essence, maybe uh, what the shuttle will, will bring—you know—when we look back at the shuttle, we'll see these commercial entities is also being an offshoot of that. Some of the vehicles that they're going to design. Um, I, I again, I'll, I'll point out the Dream Chaser a little, little bit because again, that is sort of a shuttle-derived vehicle. Um, I'll also look to the military, the, uh, the X-37B, a little bit. Again, it's a small shuttle-derived vehicle. So in 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 some ways, the shuttle will go ahead and it and it will live on. Um, but it it's been a heck of a career. It is still. Will go down in history as the most versatile vehicle that this era had uh, for low Earth orbit operations, and in that that respect, it will definitely win uh, a place in history. Um, but in another way too, it's kept us trapped in low Earth orbit for a long time, um, and I am hoping now that we can, uh, now the program is put to bed, that we can go ahead and shake off the shackles. Of uh, of low Earth orbit, um, we just celebrated the 42nd uh, anniversary of the Apollo moon landing on on July 20th, and um, I think it's high time we went for another walk somewhere, and hopefully we will do that in the coming in coming years. But again, the shuttle program was a trem- was a tremendous success. Yes, it had its tragedies. Yes, we lost two of the vehicles. Yes, we lost. 14 14 members of uh, of the astronaut corps as a result but overall i think the program does get some high marks for for again creating this allowing the space station to become become a reality so again hats off to to the shuttle program hats off to all of the individuals that worked extraordinarily hard and poured their 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 lifeblood um all over the place to go ahead and make sure that these vehicles remain healthy. Thanks to everybody, too, that supported these vehicles from afar. And thanks to the American people, too, for their longtime support of this program. And hopefully we will go on, learn what we can, and go on and do greater things. I'm wondering, too, what everybody else kind of sort of thinks out there. So if you are so inclined, you know, drop us a line, uh, mailbag at talkingspaceonline.com. We'd love to hear what uh, what you have to say.
4: Which Speaking of the mailbag, on a topic that we were discussing last week with Dawn entering orbit around the asteroid Vesta, there was one correction that we had that was sent to us that we're just going to read on the air. Dear Talking Spacers, regarding episode 330 – did a bit of research, and actually the first mission to orbit an asteroid was NASA's NEAR Shoemaker around Eros in 2000. Hayabusa did an outstanding rendezvous, but matched velocity with Itokawa from a heliocentric orbit. Thanks for the awesome job you guys do. There are many news outlets out there erroneously reporting stuff on the Dawn mission, etc. then there's the whole planet dwarf, planet asteroid controversy. (laughs) Exactly. But you guys are always on top of things. Keep up the good work. Dave Dickinson.
5: Hey Dave, thanks for the note and uh, yeah, I was just using Hayabusa as, a, as an example that it had been done before but I did not know the first spacecraft that had done it um, thank you very much for pointing that out and uh, thank you for the compliments and uh, thanks for the time uh, to taking the time to write us and uh, letting us know and uh, keep listening, I appreciate it
4: Now by the way, the four of us have given our opinion on the end of the space shuttle there was a country that gave their opinion <laughs> on it as well there was a Russian newspaper that wrote their own comments to the end of the space shuttle, right, Gene?
5: Yeah, this, this article uh, first it was it was uh, brought to my attention again by by my dear friend uh, Dr. Lucy Rogers, who's uh, uh, over at uh, Singularity University right now. But anyway, this was, article was uh, written by Alan Boyle uh, from his uh, his site uh, on MSNBC.com, Cosmic Log. And it was sort of bringing to uh, the attention that the Russians were doing a little bit of gloating here, just as Atlantis went wheel stop, Um, essentially saying that it's our space age now, and this is the epoch of the Soyuz. Um, To read off exactly what the article said, and I'm quoting directly from Alan Boyle's article here, quote, for a 30-year period, the shuttles ensured not only access – into space for humans but also delivery into orbit of large-scale payloads without which building the International Space Station would hardly have been possible. Humanity is indebted to the the American ships for their role role in the mastery of space. But why really are the comfortable and beautiful beautiful birds departing while the old quote close quote Russian Soyuz spacecraft as they're called by the foreign media are remaining? The answer is simple. Reliability not to say nothing of profitability, and I'm sitting there profitability for who? For Russia, obviously, at sixty-three million dollars a seat. Um, that's my interjection, not uh, not from the article. Um, to quote, to continue quoting the article, quote the term quote old close quote has nothing in common with with reality. The Soyuzes are constantly being modernized. Over the next year, newly modified ships equipped with, digitally, with digital systems will fly. The second Soyuz in the TMA-M series is currently undergoing flight tests. Furthermore, even if there is an alternative to the Russian manned Soyuz spacecraft in the next few years, it will take a lot of time to go ahead and prove that these new ships will provide sufficient safety and reliability for, for spaceflight. In the world of human spaceflight today, marks the beginning of the Soyuz epoch, the epoch of reliability. Um, uh, Message to uh, the the Russian uh, space agency, don't tout your reliability record. This is why airlines don't do it. I mean the first accident and it's over. Um, and the Soyuz has had its growing pains too. I'll, I'll remind everybody of Soyuz 1 with Vladimir uh, Komarov back in 1967, just as our Apollo had it, its growing pains. Um, Soyuz 11, uh, which returned um, where there was an accidental uh, depressurization of the spacecraft, which killed all three cosmonauts on board. And very recently, there was an incident um, – with the Soyuz on board um, with with uh, Peggy Whitson when she was returning from the International Space Station. And correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I believe – um, and and to describe the Soyuz real quick, the Soyuz comes in three in three parts. You have the front part, which is considered the orbital or habitation module. It's a small vehicle used for orbital operations no, no, and and just basically a, a small living quarters for for the cosmonaut crew. The middle part is the descent module. This is where essentially the the the, the crew boards, and this is essentially the business end end of the vehicle where. Um, the crew stays and controls the spacecraft. And right behind there is the instrumentation module. It's essentially analogous to the service module on on the Apollo spacecraft. This is where all the, um, you know, the, the the electronics, the instrumentation, the you know, the O two, all of that. And aside from astride the, that section are the two um, solar panels for for power. Um, what happened with in the case of Peggy Whitson's return? was um, the orbital module is supposed to separate from from the descent module during reentry, and the descent module essentially reenters like the old Apollo and uh, has a uh, has a land landing um, well that orbital module didn't detach properly and sent the 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 descent module in a little bit of a spiral which made it kind of um, well, it didn't go in into uh, the uh, uh, the reentry uh, phase properly, so you had you know you had more uh, more of an issue there, and you almost had a, a vehicle you know coming in uh, damaged or 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 more burned up than it really should have been, and I believe also too there was some there was an issue during landing as well. Um, NASA brought that was was going huh all right. Um, You know, we got Peggy back, and that's a good thing, but maybe we ought to rethink what's going on here and ask ask the Russians to go ahead and try to fix this thing at the earliest possible convenience. So um, I'm guessing that that problem has been looked at at and fixed, um, but – the other thing too, and I, and i 'm going to go ahead and go out on a little bit of a limb here too, if the Soyuz is such a superior vehicle to to the American space shuttle, why wasn 't a, a request for a fly around you know to take engineering photographs and of course engineering photographs of the shuttle at the at the iss uh, why wasn 't really that done? Um, now, indeed, I'm probably going to get mail and saying, uh, "Well, that was done." Well, not really. We didn't really get what we wanted on that on, on that maneuver that uh, Paolo Nespoli was able to go ahead and take those lovely photographs of Endeavour while while, while Endeavour made the call during STS-134. We got enough, but we didn't get everything we wanted. It was not a full fly around. So, uh, in fact, I think the the space station did a lot of the maneuvers on on that uh, on that particular uh, on that particular uh, uh, Operation there. And uh, so, you know, again, um, these are the guys we're, we're kind of sort of stuck with. Um, this is the, the, the bed we've made. This is uh, the only alternative to, to spaceflight we've, we've got right now is the Russian Soyuz. Um, I'm sure the Russians themselves really don't like to be in that position. But I'm trying to figure out why this article came out and why it was actually written on the RSA website itself, so you know guys you know it's 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 sort of like you know I just don't like like, like the tenor and I don't like the gloating I mean so much for the partnership it also kind of makes me wonder too um, we're at sixty three million dollars a seat right now how how long is it before it goes to seventy five million dollars a seat um I'm hoping that that is not the case, but uh, we'll just have to see how things go. But uh, I, I thought this was a little, you know, this this was a bit of gloating, and and you guys are supposed to be partners in this, and um, you know, that's that's just my take on on it. What do you guys you guys think?
6: Well, I'll see your 75, raise you 25. I'm good for uh, 100 million. Yeah, we taught them well, huh, Mark? <laughs> You know what? I think it'd be just outstandingly wonderful if RSA would tick off the uh, – pardon my my comparison here to more common terminology. Excuse me. But, uh, you know, if they irritated us a little bit, great. I think it's time for somebody to get irritated about – the way things have gone the last ten years to where we we have the situation we're in, and here's uh, here's a comment about Soyuz. Seriously, uh, their their comment was that Soyuz is constantly being upgraded. I'll tell you that what, what that means, not in my any knowledge of, of the Soyuz or the RSA, but my uh, my knowledge of how things have gone in the FAA for a long time is that when things get up upgraded it's because you can no longer get the parts at a at a reasonable rate that you need them or parts are just flat out not available or the cost is prohibitive and you have to convert to more modern technology and uh I'm trying to recall I think it was uh probably 15 years ago or so that the last piece of vacuum tube equipment that I maintained as an FAA technician that uh, that i personally turned off and it was replaced with something else and i remember hearing along during those times 15 20 years ago that uh, vacuum tubes were getting hard to come by and the only source for them was pretty much out of russia so yeah if soyuz is being upgraded and they have a uh, new digital system yeah okay it's about time <laughs> but um uh, you can't fault them for what they have accomplished the same as I don't think uh, we could be faulted uh, the US and and people that have been part of the the space shuttle program you know a lot a lot has been done a lot of success uh, a few a few problems a few tragedies that's my thoughts
4: and yet they've been having glitches with the new digital TMAs they've if I remember correctly, there have been a couple little computer glitches or docking issues. I'm not, I don't remember the exact details, but I remember them encountering a couple of troubleshooting issues.
6: Yeah, I think that was, I think that was part of their reason for not wanting to do the fly around with the uh, the one capsule they had, one of the two capsules they had at the ISS, was the fact that it was the newer model and that they uh, didn't feel comfortable doing the maneuvers and the flight that they would need to do for that uh, for that photo.
4: Yeah, they said they weren't sure if they'd be able to redock. <laughs> Little problem.
5: Yeah, Mark, again, just, just to go by what uh, what you were saying uh, before. Yeah, the, you know, uh, again, the, the Russians have, have, have got their list of accomplishments as well, and I'm not saying that, that they don't, and they, they do a remarkable job with, with what they've got, but I, I still say that, you know, come on, guys, the – uh, Atlantis isn't even—you know—Atlantis was just beginning day one of of becoming a museum piece, and and you guys were over there tooting your own horn. So, um, you know, this is sort of like a kick them when you're up, kick them when you're down type type situation. And you know, and deep down, I don't really think they want to be uh, the sole provider um, for. Uh, For getting astronauts to and from the ISS, I don't think they want that kind of pressure. Um, But again, uh, this was sort of uh, you know know, sitting on the on the top of the mountain and crowing, and I don't know. I just it just rubbed me the wrong way. Number one, number two. I I personally think it it wasn't called for from from somebody that we are supposedly partnering with us and already throwing down the gauntlet of some sort of new competition. So, just me.
4: All right, so continuing along, we mentioned how the space shuttles are now museum pieces. Space Shuttle Atlantis, which just landed, will be going to the Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida. During the STS-134 launch, while we had our first ever live coverage of a space shuttle launch on Astronomy FM, after launch, we got to speak with two very interesting people about Atlantis' future home, right?
5: Yep, that was uh, Bill Moore, who runs the um uh who is uh, i believe wh- what uh, sorry forgive me what what his uh uh title is but i know he 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 runs the uh the Kennedy Space Center for Delaware uh, Kennedy Space Center Visitor Center there i got it out um uh which Delaware North has been charged to to run for for NASA um i i don't recall what his exact title is but i know he is, he is- the
4: chief operating officer of the Kennedy Space Thank Center you. Visitors Complex
5: Thank you. That was we had a great conversation with him, and of course with uh, with Andrea Farmer, who's been a, a, a really grand friend uh, to the show. And uh, she is, uh, and again, her, her uh, I forget what her official title is, but essentially she is the uh, lead public affairs officer for uh, Delaware North,
1: Director of Media Relations at Kennedy Space Center.
5: Thanks, Gina. Uh, I knew that. I, I forgot her title. Um, but uh, she's been a, an incredible friend of the show, um, and we had a good good long conversation um, with her. Uh, th- th- uh, we'll run that, that, uh, that clip now, Sawyer. That's about seven minutes, but uh, it's well worth listening to. And again, this, this concerns uh, what uh, the future plans are for the space shuttle Atlantis.
4: And remember, this was recorded live on May 16, 2011 during our STS-134 live launch coverage.
2: You know, we're really honored to be able to uh, bring Atlantis home and have her stay here at the Kennedy Space Center over at the Visitor Complex and really is, in some ways, a tribute to all the men and women who've worked uh, over the years for this uh, wonderful program. But I think equally as important is that we have so many visitors who come from around the world, and and, and enabling them to be able to see a shuttle for the very first time up close and personal and and one that's just recently flown, Uh, I I think it'll be a very uh, treasured moment moment and people will, you know, everybody talks about their bucket list and stuff and launches (laughs) are certainly on everyone's bucket list but I suspect seeing an orbiter uh, up close and personal, and, and seeing Atlantis, uh, particularly here at the at the Kennedy Space Center. I mean, this is the home of orbiters, and they all launch from here, and uh, they get processed here from flights. So we're we're really excited and honored to be able to uh, to know that Atlantis is going to come home, uh, and, and uh, we, have, we have a great display that Andrew can talk a little bit about uh, the, the building, and and uh, give uh, your listeners a chance to sort of hear what we're going to do.
7: One thing that Bill has asked NASA to do is to. Don't clean up Atlantis. Keep her dirty. <laughs> we want to show her as having worked in space, as having been flown in space. And you can see that space flight is tough, and that will be reflected in the tiles and the exterior of Atlantis. As Bill said, you'll be able to get up close to this spacecraft, this amazing spacecraft. You know, most, well, everything else, uh, Mercury, Apollo. Gemini, they've flown once. This is this is a shuttle that will have flown. Thirty three times. Thirty three times. Yeah,
2: by that times. Time. We have a great building that we're putting together to uh, uh, to house Atlantis in for her. Uh, uh, time on display here and and uh, it'll be the largest building we've ever done at the visitor complex so we're really jazzed about that and then uh, you know we're, as Andrew said we're going to show it in flight and we're going to uh, not not do it on the three wheels sort of thing which nothing wrong with that but we have an opportunity to show it the way people would see it if, if we were one of the chosen few to be up in space so um, why not put it in an angle and have the payload bay doors open and, and do those sorts of things so the, the concept is to, to tell the story story Uh, Certainly, we want to highlight uh, the Hubble mission because that was uh, uh, one of the last, I guess, the last repair mission for the Hubble Space Telescope. Atlantis took part in that, which was certainly uh, one of the all-time most intriguing, exciting, and and, uh, really nail-biting spacewalks, Uh, but also the the International Space Station. I I think what people forget sometimes, uh, particularly probably more so in this country, is uh, we forget that every day, 24 hours a day, there, there are folks in space that are going around this planet and, doing some wonderful experiments and and uh and that's going to go on for for at least 10 years in the future and and uh the shuttle program uh, was such a, a pivotal part in getting the space station built um that we're excited to be able to to share that story with our with our visitors
7: I wanted to mention, too, that this new orbiter permanent home for Space Shuttle Atlantis is part of a 10-year master plan that we're essentially going to redevelop or redesign the entire visitor complex. It's going to become more interactive, all kinds of uh, elements that appeal not only to space aficionados or space geeks, if you will, but to young people, to families, just something for everyone. And, and it will be uh, where we, we talk about the history, but we look at the present and look towards the future. It'll be engaging. We hope to motivate people, get them excited about space flight, space exploration. Gina, do you have any questions?
1: Well, my question would be very simply... Um, is the Saturn V Center at Kennedy Space Center is one of the most phenomenal facilities I've ever seen. Yes. And if Atlantis could be showcased, even as half as good as that, Andrea, you've got a a total winner on your hands as an attraction. So what are your plans initially to design a spot for Atlantis to live in?
7: Well, we're well underway with that design process. We've done schematic designs, and now, uh, Bill, you're working on the construction
2: started the concept, designs. concept design uh, we, we've done concepts and now we're in the schematics and uh, and Sorry. then we go into uh, construction documents but we've laid out the building we've uh, have a number of uh, you know both interactive and and uh, non-interactive displays in the building uh, it, it'll, it's about 60,000 square feet the building will be uh, joined if you will with the shuttle launch experience to sort of complete the story of the of the shuttle program uh, we've we've successfully opened and operated the shuttle launch experience now for a few years and i think mating up the atlantis uh, building and display to that uh, very interactive and and uh, robust building will be exciting that the shuttle building for atlantis will actually be bigger be almost 100 feet tall uh, we have some great pre-shows, uh, uh, just like we do with the Saturn V building. And thank you very much for those comments. It's a, uh, it is a great facility, and people, you know, still come out of the firing room theater and sort of do that jaw-dropping moment of seeing uh, the Saturn rockets, uh, you know, and, and just imagine the power that came out of that. And I think we'll deliver the same kind of experience, if not uh, even better, with uh, when they see Atlantis.
7: I w- want to mention too that the exterior entrance will be flanked by the two SRBs and the external tank that we have currently on display. We're going to they're going to be vertical, though. Wow. <laughs>
2: That's fantastic.
7: <laughs> wow.
5: I just got goosebumps thinking about that.
7: That'll so be I mean, just feel how tiny you will feel as you're walking into this <laughs> building. <laughs> that is going to be too awesome.
2: It'll be the closest we can get people to what I would like to, as the folks did this morning, to walk out in the pad and look up and, and see those. The, the tanks and the uh, RGT tank, and then go. Let's go ride this thing, and then go inside and see a real shuttle. So, you know, it's it's a shame all of us can't go uh, take a little ride this morning. But uh, I think we're going to recreate as as much of that sort of emotion. Uh, the shuttle program itself has such a a, a range of emotions, from some real uh, uh, key moments and historic moments to some real challenging flights that uh, didn't end the way we wanted them to. And I think we want to share that with, uh, with with all of our visitors and. Uh, And and get them to appreciate this program just as they do the Apollo program.
5: I remember, like uh, Mike Leinbach saying, that the plans for uh, that he had seen supplementary plans for uh, for atlantis and he's basically said it'll knock your socks off it sounds like uh, just by listening to you guys i'm i'm <laughs> i just can't wait to see this
2: <laughs> uh, mike's been a great supporter and hmm. uh, i think anytime when you get praise from those guys you're you're, you're really excited because we don't live in their world and uh, if you can get them to tell you you're doing a good job it's it is really the highest praise you can get so we're excited about it and when we uh, get a little further along we'll have to get back with you guys and uh, share a little bit further about what we're doing I'm looking forward to that
5: very, very much, sir. Thank you for for offering to do that.
1: No, seriously, I I mean this. Uh, That Saturn V facility at Kennedy Space Center is really a phenomenal experience. And if if they're going of that route, um, Atlantis will definitely be spotlighted and showcased um, in a way that definitely reveres her greatness. So I'm looking forward to seeing it.
7: It'll be amazing. And that is hands down you know the, the most popular attraction feature exhibit but there aren't words to describe that, that the story that's told there it's, an, it's a great experience and we'll replicate that with Atlantis and then some <laughs>
2: thanks so much for letting us uh, join you this morning just after the launch of uh, STS 134 in Endeavor and uh, we hope to be back with you again soon
5: yeah so it's going to be very very interesting to go ahead and see uh, see Atlantis uh, in her new home Um uh, over at uh, the Kennedy Space Center Vis- Visitor Center, it's going to be the, the way they're going to have this thing displayed. And there was some, there was another picture of uh, what they had plans for. I believe it was in Florida today, um, just just today, Sunday, um, about uh, how she's going to look. And they are going to position her really, really in, in a in a very interesting way um, over there. And there'll also be a lot of interactive exhibits and and so on. But they're going to position the orbiter in such a, in such a manner that you can really, really go ahead and get a good look at how big these things really, really were, and what impressive machines these things really, really were. So I hope uh, hope everybody uh, has a chance to go ahead and take a look at that once once Atlantis has moved into her new home.
4: I mean, the entranceway alone just sounds amazing.
5: I know. I mean, that gave me goosebumps thinking about it. You're gonna you're gonna be walking underneath the uh, the external tank and the two uh, solid rock, flanking at the two solid rocket boosters. That that alone gives you gives you goosebumps. So that's going to be really really impressive. I can't wait to see it.
4: We're gonna be walking underneath the stack to get in.
5: I in know. The, Is that you amazing? You and I have only
4: seen that three. That all of us have only seen from about 150 feet away. We haven't actually been underneath it. I know. Is that amazing? <laughs>
5: <laughs> and uh, for for uh, future reference, gang, what we're going to try to do is uh, we're going to try to talk to uh, in-depth um, everybody that's going to be receiving an orbiter. So we're going to be getting in contact with those folks, and hopefully they'll come on and, uh, and talk to us and, and uh, talk about what their plans are. So I'm looking
4: forward to that. Now be sure to keep an ear out for a very special episode coming up. That will be our 100th Talking Space episode. That is coming up in the really near future, within the next, I believe it's three episodes. So that's coming up. Be sure to listen to that. We will have all of our adventures at the STS-135 launch, some spectacular interviews with some astronauts and other NASA personnel, and a couple of very big announcements about the show.
5: Yeah, and uh, Sawyer, no, I am not going to go ahead and do one of those retrospective ones because I find them really, really tedious to listen to. I've seen all other podcasts do them, and plus they're a bear to organize, and I'm not going to do that. Let's look forward. Let's not look behind.
4: (sighs) Thank you. That's why the only retrospect we're going to have is on our STS-135 adventure, and then we will lay Atlantis and her mission to rest. So we hope you enjoyed our 97th episode. Well, that's, that's spectacular, guys. But with that, I'd like to thank everybody who joined us tonight. Thank you, Gene McCulka.
5: It was a lot of fun. And again, I want to go ahead and and tell anybody that had anything to do with the space shuttle program. I don't care if you were sweeping the floor or, or doing the most complex thing on the bird or doing mission planning or whatever, whatever. If you had any hand on on sustaining this program low these 30 years thank you you've you've done a wonderful job uh, we we thank you from the bottom of our heart and and i know you guys are going to go ahead and go off and do great things so again thanks a lot for-
4: thank you as well mark ratterman
6: yeah i'm going to follow along with what gene just said about the people uh When I was there at Discovery for Discovery's Media Day, I'm standing underneath the orbiter talking to the flow manager for Discovery, and and now the flow manager for retirement of the three orbiters, Stephanie Stilson, and I'm talking to her and totally absorbed in what she's telling us just about forgetting the fact that I'm standing underneath Discovery. It's the people that made her go, and uh, I'm privileged to have met some of them, and I'm looking forward
4: to what's ahead. And thank you as well Gina Hurley.
1: I'll just add in my two cents here and you know it, it is the the great people that made those ships as magnificent as they were but it's also the the great people who rode inside them and especially um a mention of the two crews of Challenger and Columbia STS-51L and STS-107 and to their families who all 14 of those families the courage they showed and the great grace they showed in their grief to all make sure and mention and communicate that their loved ones would not want to see shuttle stop flying. And that sort of squelched a lot of the naysayers both times about, you know, is this safe, should we pursue? And, you know, their courage in such a time of grief was um, was so important, I think, to the whole program and to everyone involved with it that gave them such, um, you know, such importance in what they were all doing and great motivation to continue their excellence. And, and I think um, those 14 families deserve quite a bit of the credit for the success of the program to keep it going.
4: And I would like to force everybody's emotions there and to every single person that was a part of the NASA workforce for any part of this vehicle, from the conception to the design to the building to the maintaining, all the way to the decommissioning, thank you for everything you've done, and know that it wasn't the vehicle that made the country, it was the people that made the vehicle who made the country. And on that note, I'd like to thank you for joining us, and as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are.